You can live in Edinburgh all your life and find that the view never gets old. And right above you is this ancient medieval city and a castle rising from the rock. And the scene is absolutely magnificent. I live in Edinburgh and I never tire of it. Hi, I'm Rick Steves. Coming up today on Travel with Rick Steves, expert tour guides from Scotland debate the must-see sites of their country, from stately castles and trend-setting cities to rugged highland locks. Or maybe you'd rather play a few rounds of golf at the publicly owned course at St. Andrews. Golf in Scotland isn't an elitist sport. The smallest village will have its own nine-hole golf course. Plus, folk singer Jim Malcolm talks about the poetry embedded deep in traditional Scottish music. Good tunes attract words. And in fact, our great hero, Robert Burns, that's what basically he did. He, he would take tunes that he liked and pen beautiful words to them. It's everything you need, except maybe the haggis, for a great time in Scotland in the hour ahead. It's Travel with Rick Steves. I can hardly wait to go back to Scotland. Hi, I'm Rick Steves. The more I get to know about Scotland, the more I realize I'm just scratching the surface and having a good time anyway. This is a particularly big year for Scotland. Among the major celebrations, they're marking 700 years since the Battle of Bannockburn, which brought independence to the Scots. A big tourism push called The Homecoming is calling on anyone with Scottish heritage to visit the homeland this year. But the celebrations may be overshadowed in September, when voters decide on a referendum on seceding from the rest of the United Kingdom. To help us visitors plug into all the fun Scotland promises and to overcome any of the challenges or confusion a visitor might encounter, we've imported three accredited blue badge guides from Scotland. Cullen Mares comes to us from the industrial heart of urban Glasgow. Anne Doig hails from Regal, Edinburgh, and Liz Lister lives nearby in the picturesque region known as the Kingdom of Fife. They're here to sing the praises of their favorite corners of Scotland and to debate the merits of what you should include on your own touring itinerary of Bonnie Scotland. Cullen, Liz, Anne, thanks for joining us. Thanks for Thank you. you. So we'll start off with Anne. Anne, you are from Edinburgh, and how should we consider Edinburgh compared to Glasgow if we can't do everything? Here we go. Well... <laughs> When you come into Edinburgh, and if you arrive by train, you emerge from the railway station, and right above you is this ancient medieval city and a castle rising from the rock. And the scene is absolutely magnificent. I live in Edinburgh, and I never tire of it. I Mm. just absolutely love it, and I get really thrilled when I see that. I'm very pro-Edinburgh because of its blessed with wonderful landscapes, great architecture, wonderful history, But I have to say, there's real rivalries between the two cities of Edinburgh and Glasgow, and it can get quite nasty sometimes. (laughs) And I think probably 80% of the uh, tourists, at least from America, are going to Edinburgh. That's right. But they shouldn't miss out in Glasgow, because I would say, and I think the Glaswegians would agree with me, Glasgow is much more of a Scottish city than Edinburgh. During the period of the the union with England, Edinburgh had the, the parliament, and when it dissolved itself, the only way that you could make it in the world was to drop the old Scots language and adapt standard English. And everybody who was anybody, the landed gentry, they all went down to London and had uh, houses there and became very Anglified, whereas Glasgow stuck to its Celtic and Scottish roots, went out and traded and made a fortune with merchants, etc. But there's real historical reasons for the difference, and Glaswegians considered Edinburgh... English. So, so in order to thrive during uh, the difficult past times when London was quite aggressive with Scotland, you really mm. had to kiss up to England. Exactly. And the Edinburgh people were experts they at did that. It. Yes. I, th- I think the Dubliners did that in Ireland too. Yes, and then they, they had did. that whole notion of beyond the pale, which was beyond the Palace English realm. Yes. Yeah. Okay, Cullen, you are a Glaswegian. I am. And how would you um, how would you balance Edinburgh and Glasgow? <laughs> well. I like Edinburgh. Uh, I don't want to put it down too much. <laughs> you guys are so polite. <laughs> but it, it, is a, it is a charming town. Ed, Edinburgh's all right. But let's get down to brass tacks. But, um, but Glasgow, the thing that makes Glasgow, in fact, this is the current uh, slogan for Glasgow to advertise the city. They say, people make Glasgow. Mm-hmm. So uh, Edinburgh, Edinburgh, yeah, it's they a nice a city. Slogan, sorry for jumping in, <laughs> but they used to have a big slogan on the M8 saying, Glasgow smiles better, yes. meaning Glasgow is miles better with a big happy smiley face. Yeah. And we, miles we use better. miles better and we always having a poke <laughs> at Edinburgh and we'd come back with Edinburgh's miles drier, which <laughs> is on the East Coast. Miles drier. And drier. That, yeah, that might be consumption of alcohol too. Oh, yes. <laughs> <laughs> so now I was just in both Edinburgh and Glasgow and Edinburgh is quite stately and mm. pretty serious about his heritage. And when I go to Glasgow, 
You've got grand statues, but there's traffic cones on their hats that make them look like <laughs> oh, yes. clowns. Yes, so, talk uh, about that. There's a personality in Glasgow is, yeah. you don't find elsewhere. Yeah, uh, a lot of people in Glasgow don't actually even know the name of the, the guy. Uh, he's, he's the Duke of Wellington, in case you're oh, interested. Duke of Wellington, but, right there in the main, yeah. in front of this Georgian elegant yes, uh, you it's know, in, temple. Yes, in front of the Gallery of Modern Art. Uh, yeah. But most people in Glasgow know him as the wee man with a cone in his head. Translate that. What is that? <laughs> okay, so the, the wee man with a cone in his head. That's uh, the wee, the little man with the cone on his head. <laughs> uh, and so the government just lets the traffic cone, the bit orange well, traffic cone go on the head. It's of been an, an ongoing battle and recently it, it got quite serious because they said, uh, the local council, they said, okay, we're going to remove this cone once and for all. Uh, we need to show that we're a clean and tidy city. And, and he's uh, the Duke of, of Wellington? The Duke of Wellington. Waterloo, the Battle yeah. of Waterloo. But that's yeah. a pretty big British thing. Yeah. 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 So, yeah. I mean, you're not just making a joke, you're making a joke with a little nudge at England. Yeah. yeah. Our expert guides from Scotland are introducing us to some of the highlights of their beautiful country. Anne Doig is based in Edinburgh. Colin Mares comes from Glasgow, and Liz Lister, who was actually guided me around Scotland for two weeks last year, she is from Fife, which is neither Glasgow or Edinburgh, mm-hmm. and uh, we've got this little thing going on here between these two great cities. Liz, what is your take on this? Well, coming from west of Fife, I'm almost in the centre of Scotland, so I can slag off both of them <laughs> um, and, and urge any travellers to include Fife on their, their itinerary. <laughs> First of all, the Edinburghers, as we would call them, we would tend to see as being rather elitist, that um, the capital mm. city, the city that has all the, the galleries, or, or it doesn't, but it believes that it has the culture. It was highly insulted when Glasgow was made the city of culture <laughs> and couldn't believe this. Um, so very much elitist and looking down on others. Whereas the Ouija's, uh-huh. the Glaswegians from the West, are very much about their sense of humour and their culture. But because of that, they're very insular. So coming from the higher education sector in a previous career, we used to joke that um, people in the west of Scotland, particularly in Glasgow, made their choice of university depending on which bus route it was on. <laughs> so um, getting up in the morning and getting the first bus. So they weren't really looking broadly and widening their horizons. So yeah, come well, to five. And, and isn't there also some issue where Glaswegians identify themselves by their football team, whereas Edinburgh people identify themselves by what prep school they went to. Which yes. school they went to. Yeah, this yeah. is absolutely, you know, around the dinner table, um, if you're having a dinner party in Edinburgh, it will all about being, have you got your child down? This is in the affluent yeah. um, areas of, of Edinburgh. Have you got your child down which to a school? particular school, which ah. is carrying on family traditions? Whereas in Glasgow, they'll ask um, what your surname is, so they can size up whether you're Protestant or Catholic. And that, of course, is then when it comes into the football team, Rangers being Protestant, Catholic being Celtic. So but Celtic this, and Rangers, this is interesting. Okay, so the Celtics would Cel- be the... Just Celtic. No, oh, no oh Celtic. I'm sorry. <laughs> just, okay, you've got to get it right yeah. in classical yeah. football <laughs> terms. So you got your Celtic, yeah. mm-hmm. which would be Catholic and working class? Well, no, this is really your, your uh, middle class that we're talking about here. Mm-hmm. But Edinburgh has its areas of deprivation, its areas of working class, which would be much more similar to Glasgow. So we're talking Mm. about the more middle class individuals, the more affluent, um, who would be having these dinner parties rather than Mm -hmm. meeting in the pub. So this is fascinating. And uh, if I can just referee this discussion on Glasgow (laughs) and Edinburgh, the main thing is they're both different, they're both welcoming, and they're like 45 minutes apart by train, and there's three trains an hour. And whether you're going to base in Edinburgh or Glasgow, if you got three days, one of those should be on the train to go to the other city. They're so so near to one another, yet so far apart. And uh, you could take a side trip out to the Britannia, for instance, when you're in Edinburgh, the the great ship of the royal Mm -hmm. family, and probably takes no more time to go to Glasgow than yeah. it takes to go to, yes. what's, what's the, the port where... Leith. 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 Yeah. Yeah. So, so I, would say I would say it's easier to get to Glasgow than go to Britannia it's if you've got an extra day in Edinburgh. But I think All you have to do is hop on the train and you're <laughs> straight train. through into Glasgow. And you're right there. To get down to Britannia, you're talking about buses, you're... Yeah. Yeah, too complicated. Yeah, go I to think, Glasgow instead. I think if you're planning a trip to Glasgow, you'll be rewarded by doing some research because we see that Edinburgh is all laid out before you. It is absolutely beautiful, as mm. Anne said. You know, yeah. you're, you're coming onto a stage, whereas Glasgow, you experience... It's the smells, it's the people, it's the sounds. 
So do your research. It's not laid out for you. So in the way smells. Smart. Hold, hold back with the smells there, Liz, please. No, the smells. <laughs> the smells <laughs> of Glasgow. <laughs> That'll be a whole other interview. But I'll tell you, I've been going to Edinburgh all my life. I've been to Glasgow a couple of times, and it was hard to get my brain around Glasgow. But then I, I had the services of a good guide. He's sitting at this table right here, Colin Mares. <laughs> And uh, Glasgow all of a sudden came to life. And there are great sites in Glasgow. But I want to talk about Edinburgh because we're going to be in Edinburgh. And there are a handful of major attractions. And I'm just going to read these attractions. And I'd like you guys to make your case for which one would be the best one for uh, somebody with limited time. you got the National Museum in Edinburgh, which is a best, I think, swing through Scottish history. Uh, You've got the National Gallery which gives you an appreciation of the greatest art on canvas coming out of Scotland and a lot of history that you can read into that. you got the Britannia, which is the great uh, ship of the royal family, the the yacht of the royal family, permanently moored now just outside of Edinburgh. The Portrait Gallery, which is a walk through the the portraits of all the great Scots. And you got the Military Museum up at the castle, which is one of the better military museums in all of Europe. Colin, what are your take on a couple of those sites for some advice? Well, for me, I would say the best one to visit, uh, if you can only visit one, it's the National Museum. Why is that? It's uh, it's a walk through Scottish history. You start down in the, the lower level. You start with the earliest people of Scotland, the Picts. Mm-hmm. Uh, you come up through the history, up through our wars with England, the wars mm-hmm. of independence. You're up uh, through... Uh, the time of Mary, Queen of Scots, and her history, and and artifacts like mad. You've got yeah. you got fans where the elegant ladies would cool yeah. themselves that have pictures of Bonnie Prince Charlie. That would have been <laughs> yeah. a, sort of a political statement. Yeah, definitely. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Tartan was a political statement then. Yeah, and yeah. you get a sense of that. And then it's the state of the art museum. And if I remember mm-hmm. correctly, Liz, if you go up to the very rooftop. Yeah. What do you find? A view, you, I'll leave Anne to talk about the view over the city, but you've got the, one of the best views of the city. But just what you've got in Scotland is an almost unique diversity. And that's all down to our geology and the way in which we were formed, because that in turn formed our landscape, it formed our soils, our agriculture, our land use, and our history is based on that. So I would support Colin that in the National mm-hmm. Museum, you can walk through Scotland's formation and its geology and how it forms. So if you want to start to understand Scotland, mm-hmm. the National Museum is a yeah. fantastic it, starting place. It really place. brings you right up to modern and, day. And don't you even have a garden on the rooftop? That Yes, this is one of my favourite places because... Um, for visitors, they might miss this. There's only one lift that takes you up, the terrace lift. And I have to say about the only thing negative about the National Museum, it's a wee bit what we call higgledy-piggledy. <laughs> it's not very easy to find your way round. That's true. You can buy audio sets to take yeah. you there. But there's a lift right at the back, the terrace lift. It's level seven. And from there, you get the most amazing views of the city, not the ones that you see on pretty postcards. And that's why I really love it. You see the university, the castle, but also the different layers because Edinburgh is really built on bridges. And for me, I think that's really exciting, all the different layers and textures. So if you're into photography, top of the um, top museum of the National is, Museum is and, really and, unique. And, but you've actually got an exhibit that has the different heathers and grasses. Yes, and, and geology. And, yeah, yeah, but it's, it's perfect. Your calls for Anne Doig, Colin Mares, and Liz Lister are next at 877-333-7425 as we benefit from their insider's perspective on visiting Scotland. And a little later in the hour, folk singer Jim Malcolm from Perthshire treats us to a lyrical look at Scotland that you won't want to miss. It's Travel with Rick Steves. This is Travel with Rick Steves. We're debating Scotland right now with three great Scottish tour guides. We've got Cullen Mares from Glasgow, Liz Lister from Fife, and Anne Doig from Edinburgh itself. <laughs> Our phone number is 877-333-7425. 
Susan's on the phone, calling from Irvine in California. Hi, Susan. Hi. If you really need to see something outside of the cities, what should you see? St. Andrews. I'll jump in there. St. Andrews. So that's, a, that's uh, the, the birthplace of uh, golf. golf and also yeah, the Reformation. great cathedral and yeah, a wonderful old town. But also just to walk along the sands at St. Andrews, that was the home of Chariots of Fire. You've got the university town, you have all the students mm-hmm. walking about, a large proportion of them, almost a third of them being American, mm. um, with pink pashminas. Um, <laughs> but uh, you can walk around this, it really is just a little time warp on the east nuke of Fife. Well, I know my son-in-law will be thrilled because he wants to go play golf. Yes, yes. absolutely. You can do it. I was just there, and even if you're not a golfer, it's exciting to be there and, and, and see all the enthusiasts, and they've got you know historic galleries and mm. so on. Well, that was the other thing that I understand. It's anyone can walk on the courses. Is that correct? That's, That's right. correct. As long as you don't get in the way of the golfers. I'm a golfer. <laughs> <laughs> okay, you don't want to get hit. Golfers. But it's uh, the old course, of course, is really famous because they say it's when it all started. There's big debates about that. But certainly the rules of golf were yeah. described there. But it's a public course, which surprises lots of people. Belongs to the town. It was where people just grazed their sheep and cattle mm-hmm. and they just carved the golf course out of it. So, yes, because of that, you have the right to walk on the golf course as long as you're careful and don't get hit. <laughs> and golf in Scotland isn't an elitist sport. The smallest village will have its own nine-hole golf course. Yeah, so right. there's golf for every level of ability and every purse. Over as 700 in, golf courses in Scotland. As a matter of fact, I'm not a golfer, but I had a great pitch and putt. That's what it's called at the, uh, what castle were we at? Codder Castle. Codder Castle. And it was very striking to me for, you know, for equivalent of $10, I could uh, compliment my castle visit with a gorgeous opportunity to do a little pitch and putt and golfing there on this nine-hole course. And, and it was a highlight of my visit. It was and really that included great. your height of clubs as well. That's <laughs> right. Hey, Susan, thanks for your call. Thank you. Jane's calling in from New Orleans in Louisiana. Jane, thanks for your call. Oh, thank you very much. This is so fascinating and wonderful to hear new, interesting places to discover in Scotland that I haven't been before. I really enjoyed watching and even participating in international folk dancing. Do you, Colin, Liz, Anne, have suggestions for places where a traveler can watch or even take a class in Scottish Highland dancing? Well, outside of the cities, if we're going mm-hmm. further north, if we're going yeah. to, to Fort William or Oban, mm-hmm. uh, they've got a place in both of these both of these towns. It's called the Skippinish. Mm-hmm. Uh, Skippinish is also the name of the band who play there, and they'll they'll put oh. on a really good show. It's really kind of involves the people as well. They'll so get you Scottish up and teach folk the dances. Show. Yes, you get an open floor area where they get the people up to dance and. Yes. Yeah. What would you advise, Liz? As you yourself found when you were on the tour, if you come through July or August, you will find that it's the Highland Games season. So the Highland Games is the pinnacle of all the training that the Highland dancers go through. So, um, you know, if you really want to see the elite in mm-hmm. action, those Highland Games are a fantastic opportunity for that. Or but even the future elite. We saw little five-year-old girls absolutely. dancing with all the grit and determination of absolutely. their older sisters. Yeah. But other than that, a Cayley, and there's no better Cayley than taking the funicular railway up to the top of um, Cairngorm, to the, the cafe up there, and you can join in a Cayley and be taught Scottish country dancing. Now, where is this? Cairngorm, what is that? Cairngorm is in Aviemore in the highlands of Scotland, the central highlands. Mm-hmm. It's one of our major ski resorts. Mm-hmm. And in summer, the funicular railway takes tourists up to the Ptarmigan restaurant and they put on a keely there, especially for tourists. Nice. And Doig, what's your advice oh, for wow. seeing Scottish folk culture? Um, it's difficult to get into keelys, I have to say, mm-hmm. because uh, you don't know when they're going to happen. A keely is a sort of get-together, a gossip, dancing and singing. And the ones that they tried for visitors in Edinburgh just didn't work. They just didn't work. Mm-hmm. There's one at the Prestonfield House, which I think it's is awful. terrible. Yeah, it's, it's really just tacky. Like, it's like Avoid them. And like bubbles the and bleh. Skippinish and Oban yeah. is really good, but they'll walk you through reeling. But as Liz said, uh, July and August are the the clan gathering months, and uh, I have in many occasions just stumbled onto clan gatherings. And if you have your antennas out there and you know where the gla- gatherings are, it would be worth, you know, driving for an hour to find one and be there. And foreigners are so welcome. Everybody's gathered around. It is so down-home and, and folky and, and, and just a delight. I think that would be a good advice. going to jump in there. Yeah. Uh, this year is homecoming year. It's a, it's a strategy by the Scottish Tourist Board to try and bring back people of Scots heritage, because they went all over the world during the time oh, of yeah. empire, which means it's a big year for Scotland because we've got the Ryder Cup, we've got the Commonwealth Games, which is British Empire Games, if you like, and uh, we've got the referendum. 
but it's also homecoming, so there's going to be events all over Scotland, so you will have an opportunity to have more gatherings nice. where Scottish things happen. Good to know. And it's all on website, Homecoming Scotland. Thank you so much for these great ideas. It's so exciting. Thank I hope you. you're taking notes, because uh, Scotland's waiting for you. I am. <laughs> okay, bye now. I'm taking lots of notes. Thank you. Thanks for your call. Three certified tour guides from Scotland are helping us get acquainted with their homeland so we can make the best use of our vacation time to fully enjoy Scotland. And they're taking your calls at 877-333-RIC. Liz Lister's from the region of Fife. Anne Doig comes to us from Edinburgh. And Colin Mares is from Glasgow. Another big issue when you're in Scotland is the Highlands or the Lowlands. The Lowlands oh. are like the borders, is that right? Or, or what, what are the borders? Strictly speaking, Rick, the, the Lowlands is anything below the Highland Line. And where's the Highland Line? So the Highland Line uh, runs diagonally across Scotland. From Ireland and the so, southwest yeah. to Stonehaven. You can actually be south of Edinburgh and be in the Highlands, okay. which people, you know, in Arran, it's a diagonal line. A diagonal, yeah. Geological line. Yeah, of okay, line, and which, that's uh, the geological definition of the Highlands. Yes, yeah, so the Highlands is above the Highland line. It's the, the Highland, Highland boundary follows. But line. the amazing thing, culturally, historically, socially, follows that line. Everything north yeah. and west of that line is the Highlands yeah. with the kilts, the bagpipes. It's just the way the land has shaped the people okay. and the language and the culture. So below the Highland line, people speak English or Scots. Mm-hmm. Above the Highland line, they speak Gaelic. Now, if I'm looking for Scotland, if I'm looking for Scotland, and I'm typical American, not enough time. When I leave England, I just want to drive straight to Edinburgh. But you would be missing so much. The borders, the true borders, the Scottish borders, are where the debatable lands. This was the lands that were fought over ah. for the border between Scotland and England. So constantly, wars being waged here. But the abbeys that you find in the borders are truly remarkable. And uh, you really need to go and see each one because each one has its particular character. They're all ruins, but um, they've all got stories behind them. Which of these, what are these that have their... Jedburgh, Dryborough, Melrose. Oh, what did you call them? Abbeys? Abbeys. 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 Ah, the abbeys of the Bordens. And this is a disputable land. Or the debatable mm. debatable. Now that gives it an extra poignancy. Yeah. Yes. It, you know, it's it's interesting that that was the land that had to be more determined to yeah. be Scottish to even survive as part and of Scotland. survival was hard. You had the cattle reavers going out and stealing and, uh, you know, it has its own distinctive ethos in the borders. Okay, so having defended the borders still, if you go farther north, deep into the highlands, mm. Wouldn't you say that's where you're going to find the clichetic, touristic sort of uh, yeah. Scotland? Yeah, the image of the image of the, the kilted Scot uh, with the tartan, and that's all from the Highlands. That's Highland dress. It's become our national dress. One of our other Scottish tour guides, Martin, constantly refers to the invention of tradition. Mm-hmm. And uh, tartan Scot. Yeah, yeah, exactly. <laughs> so um, you know that that is the stereotype of Scotland with your short mm-hmm. tins and your. Yeah. Yeah. You'll, you'll find it in the Highlands. Plus, a lot of uh, not towering mountains, but you've got lots of uh, good hiking up there. Oh yeah. What are, uh, what are the Monroes? Monroes are uh, mountains over 3,000 feet. Uh, so they were named after a man, Hugh T. Monroe. He made up this list, and we've got 284 Monroes. You can, okay, so you can, Monroe is, uh, it, in English, we call it a hill. <laughs> no. <laughs> it's a mountain. Over, it's a mountain over 3,000 feet. A wee mountain. Over 2,000 feet, they're Marilyn's. <laughs> <laughs> is that right? Yes. This is Travel with Rick Steves. We're learning about Scotland from the Highlands to the Lowlands. Our phone number is 877-333-7425. Robin's calling in from Los Angeles in California. Robin, thanks for your call. Hi, I'm planning a trip to Scotland, and I'm curious what's the best way to plan a hiking trip in trying to cover some of those Monroes in Scotland. Well, uh, one of the most successful ones going from either Glasgow or Edinburgh is Ben Lomond. So uh, Ben, that's the Scottish word for a mountain. Most of them are called Ben something. Uh, so Ben Lomond's next to Loch Lomond, a very beautiful loch. And, so that would uh, be a good mountain that, to climb? That, yeah, that ben Lomond. Easy to climb? Yeah, relatively easy. A good, good um, king of the mountain feeling on the yeah, top? Yeah, beautiful view from the top. If you've got a clear day, get a view right up and down Loch nice Lomond. Nice idea. That's, I'm going to put that on my list, Robin, because uh, you know I've been in uh, the Lakes District or in Keswick, and, and there's lots of hills there, that mountains that people climb, and it's easy to get up there. It takes a couple hours, and you really feel like you've accomplished something. Yeah, mm-hmm. but our mountains are dangerous. Um, even Ben Lomond, which looks relatively innocuous, it can be dangerous. Our weather changes so quickly. Mm-hmm. So if you were serious about really trying to get a number of Monroes under your belt, I would highly recommend that you get a guide. Mm-hmm. There's lots of specialist guides in this area who can really take you to the inaccessible places and get you get the most out of the experience. Mm-hmm. You know, there are a lot of very good little self-employed tour companies that run minibus tours out of places like Inverness. Mm-hmm. And I think they are excellent and they get you to historic places, prehistoric places and natural wonders. Mm-hmm. Robin, thanks for your call. Thank you. You can email us anytime at radio at ricksteves.com. 
Gerald's emailed us from Portland, Oregon, and Gerald writes, He highly recommends driving the western side of Loch Ness. Almost nobody does, and the scenery is spectacular. Also, the sheepdog demonstration just south of Carbridge is not to be missed. So this is a very good point Gerald brings up. Loch Ness, people drive along Loch Ness. You can go on which side? What's, what's the well, best north side. I think he's got his sides maybe mixed up there. Yeah. Um, it's the north side and the south side. So there's the yeah. north and the south. What yeah. are the uh, pros and cons? Well, the, the north side is the tourist trail. Mm-hmm. The south side, nobody goes on. It's just a windy, bendy road. But you do get a different view and a different experience. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. It's more off the beaten track. And you don't have to drive by the Loch Ness Monster exhibit. That's true. Which yes. is a huge advantage. You can see the Loch Ness Monster from both sides. <laughs> you can see it from both sides. And uh, Gerald's also talking about sheepdog demonstrations. Liz, you took me to a sheepdog demonstration. I think that's the one that Gerald's talking about. And tell this, us about that, because yeah. that was really good. Right, this is a tenant farmer from one of the big estates just outside Aviemore. And uh, this has really grown, so it's now probably earning him more than his, his sheep farming is. But he's a real character. He's very, very passionate about the sheep and uh, the current issues involved in sheep farming. But more important than that, his father constantly has puppies. So if you fancy <coughs> 17 dogs sheep dogs... Yes. Yeah, <laughs> I was there just when they were puppies. They hadn't even opened their eyes Absolutely. yet. And, and Rick Steves took one in his pocket back onto the bus. <laughs> I did. I was in love with this little puppy and I just tried to... Yes, if you like baby lambs in um, May, June... <laughs> and puppy dogs at any time of year, then definitely a sheepdog visit is for you. You know, I'm not normally a cute little dog kind of person, but I fell in love with this dog, and he fit in my pocket perfectly. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. <laughs> I almost had myself a absolutely. little souvenir. And Neil himself isn't too bad either. <laughs> <laughs> He's a good-looking oh, guy. Oh, <laughs> yeah, no wonder we stopped there. And, you know, those sheepdogs are quite talented. Right. They really know how to be the shepherd's best friend. Yeah, mm-hmm. So if you want to see a sheepdog demonstration, this one that Gerald's mentioning is south of Carbridge, C-A-R-R-B-R-I-D-G-E. Just outside Aviemore, just between Kincraig and Aviemore, is by far and away the best one in the whole of Scotland. And how would people uh, look that up? Is there a name it's just of it? Just off the A9. Just off the Lealt A9. Farm. Lealt Farm. L-E-A-U-L-T. They can Lealt. Google that. L-E-A-U-L-T. Lealt Farm. Very nice. This is Travel with Rick Steves. We've been discussing the wonders of Scotland. And, you know, something for me that makes Scotland really, really powerful is to understand the passion Scottish people have for being Scottish uh, with all the pressure they've had over the centuries from England and to be part of the United Kingdom and all this. And you get these very emotional experiences with wonderful guides at local sites. I'm thinking of several places around Scotland, but let's just finish off, if we could, with each of you sharing one site in the countryside somewhere where you really gain an appreciation of the love Scottish people have for their heritage and and the hard struggles they've had in the past. And Doig? Well, I would immediately think about Glencoe, actually, because uh, it means the Glen of the Weeping. It's actually a caldera with very steep-sided hills, and the hills speak to you. Uh, There was a terrible tragedy there, a massacre, and you have that feeling when you're there. In a nutshell, what was the massacre? The massacre was when the government turned on uh, Clan MacDonald because they hadn't signed an allegiance, an oath on time. And, the government uh, the meaning government, London? Yes, the British soldiers, but they all came from Clan Campbell, but that was just to make it look like it was another clan battle. And they slaughtered, what was it, 38 MacDonalds in their beds, having, having billeted them. The, the soldiers were marched in and the MacDonalds looked after them for two so weeks the ma- and then the they McDonald's t- were hospitable and they let these yes. people into their houses mm-hmm. and then they did an ambush and killed them all. Yes. And these are the kind of um, intimate stories that are still alive like they happened last year. And uh, I, I guess know. it's uh, you have a little baggage if you're a Campbell in that part of Scotland. In that part of Scotland because I was really amazed. I was fortunate enough to be shown around the, I- the island of Lismore just at the bottom of Glencoe by Deirdre Livingston, one of the oldest, oldest families. And she made an acid comment about the Campbells. And I said, surely you don't feel anything. It was over 200 years ago. And she said, well, Glencoe's to stop the road. Mm. So they do. There you go. Well, I, I have MacDonald heritage, Rick. Uh, my, well, my grandmother was a Donald. Mm-hmm. Uh, so Donald, MacDonald, that's MacDonald's just son of Donald. Right. And I've got a MacDonald tartan kilt. I was wearing that one time when I met the Duke of Argyle. He's the, uh, the chief of the Clan Campbell. And when I met him, I completely forgot. I was wearing the kilt, really, and I just shook his hand and... He kind of shook my hand a bit funny and looked a bit funny. And it was only afterwards I realised, 
I wonder if yeah. that's because I was wearing the McDonald kilt and Whoa. you recognized that tartan. You know, you've got to be a little more on the ball with what you're wearing because you took me into a, into a football, into a soccer team <laughs> store right. in Glasgow. Yes. Yeah. And what was the color situation? We went into a, yeah. a, a Celtic or Celtic store. Celtic. 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 And, and what's yeah. the color of the Celtics and what so, you were wearing? Yeah, well, <laughs> Celtic, Celtic are green and white. Uh, their big rivals are Rangers. They're red, white, and blue. I had, a, I had on a blue tie. And, and, I, said, and I, I said, I've got to be careful in here with a blue tie on. Cullen took it's, me into this place, yeah. and it was like blue and red did not exist. It was a huge commercial store with all think, sorts of knickknacks. We, we saw one ring binder folder, which was blue. Was Nothing, everything blue. was other than blue and red, and, and you had a little bit of red on, and we had to, we had to watch it. We had to lay low <laughs> and get out of there. <laughs> Liz, if you're going to feel the, the passion of Scotland, where would you take your travelers? The passion of Scotland, or, or probably the, the, probably the, the, a football match would be the passion of Scotland. Okay. But if I was looking for somewhere, some spot to take my travellers, it would be Iona. The tranquility of this island, which was um, the home of, of mm. St. Columba, 6th century saint. And this was then a pilgrimage for people to go there, to travel to this island and the burial place of many of the kings of Scotland. So this is Iona, mm. I-O-N-A. That's and you correct. go there from Oban on a one-day side trip. It's just a couple hours by ferry. You mm. have the day and you come back to Oban. This is pretty near Ireland. It's just directly it across is. from Ireland. Is this where Christianity came to Scotland? St. Columba was expelled he, um, for reasons that we won't go into, and he had to travel from Ireland to the first place that he could reach where he couldn't see his beloved Ireland. So after a number of stops, he climbed the hill, which is only a very small hill on Iona, and this was the first spot. So this was the home of Celtic Christianity. And I'll tell you, there is a special character of the air Absolutely. and the ambience there. And even if you're not into that kind of stuff, Go to Iona with an open mind and you will be impacted. Spiritual. Anne and Liz and Colin, what is one tip on how to bring home a, a particularly rosy, warm Scottish memory? Uh, we'll start with uh, Liz. Well, first of all, learn how to say Edinburgh instead <laughs> of Edinburgh. <laughs> uh, okay. Thank you. Is, teach me how to say it correctly. Edinburgh. 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 So this is something very important. Edinburgh. And Colin, what's a tip for you? Talk to the locals. We're very friendly in Scotland, especially in Glasgow. It's a friendly city. And go into a bar, go into a traditional pub, and just uh, just go in for a pint or a or a whiskey. And That's just, what the pubs uh, are for. The pubs yeah. are literally yeah, public it's a, it's a social houses. Place, yeah. People go yeah. there to talk, mm-hmm. and and I would challenge Americans to uh, venture into the whiskies. Yeah, you know we have beer all over Britain, but uh, up in Scotland, the locals like it when you ask them what's a good whiskey. Oh yeah, yeah, and everyone's got their favourite. <laughs> Everyone has a different opinion on that. <laughs> That's for sure. And Doy. Well, I would say use public transport because it's very good in Edinburgh and the whole of Scotland. You know, if you use the public transport, that's how you get to know the people and even sitting on the trains and buses and stuff so like that. So within the cities and between the cities, go for the public transport. I would say so, yeah. yeah if, you, if you want a good sing-song on a Saturday night, take a bus home in Glasgow <laughs> because the whole bus will be... In fact, search YouTube because you'll see some brilliant examples <laughs> of the whole bus singing. Uh, and the buses when they've all been to the pub. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> all right. Anne and Colin and Liz, thank you so much for this uh, fun discussion on your beautiful country. Thank you. Thank, thank you. you. His skill as a storyteller is matched by expert musicianship and a voice as smooth as the finest Scotch whiskey. Up next, Scottish folk singer Jim Malcolm joins us for a very entertaining musical tour of Scotland right here on Travel with Rick Steves. When we heard that Scottish folk singer Jim Malcolm was touring the Pacific Northwest with a series of house concerts, we convinced him to carve out just a little time between gigs to stop by our Travel with Rick Steves studio near Seattle so you could meet him too. Jim receives high praise for his interpretations of the standards of Scottish music. He was voted Scotland's Songwriter of the Year by his peers in 2004, and he's been nominated for Scott's Singer of the Year more often than anybody else. You may have heard him as the lead singer of the group Old Blind Dogs. Nowadays, Jim travels as a troubadour of Scottish music with his guitar and harmonica, and he's an authority on the works of Robert Burns. 
To date, he's released more than 50 of his own songs on CD. Jim Malcolm's here to demonstrate how the traditional music of Scotland is a perfect way to appreciate the Scottish national heritage. Jim, thanks for joining us. Well, I'm enjoying your beautiful country as well. I think uh, Washington, it's like Scotland on steroids. You've got these extra big mountains at the back. You know, it looks just like Scotland. And then you have these big snowy ones that we just don't have quite as many. Yeah, and they're maybe four times as tall as <laughs> yes, yours. But uh, my, yes. I've got a Scottish friend that said uh, we're more into quality than quantity when it comes to mountains. And the Monroes are quite popular in Scotland. Oh, God, yeah. I, what are the Monroes, by the way? Uh, well, there was this guy, this guy called Hector Monroe, Dr. Hector Monroe, who was the first one to climb all the the 3,000-plus mountains. I think it's 300 at 3,000. That 3,000 feet? Yeah, What's the state of traditional music in Scotland today? It's flourishing. Lots of young people are playing. And if you know where to go, and this is a part of it with finding traditional music, at musicians in pubs, they move around. You know, they, they have a place that they like and then they fall out with the landlord. The mm. landlord's not giving them enough free beer. So, right. they, so they move on to the next place. So there is a certain amount of, of, you have to kind of have a bit of local guidance to just to find the best of it. If you go to the to the major cities, there'll be something on somewhere every night. Yeah, I was just know. in Edinburgh. I was, I was impressed. Yeah. Right downtown, there's five or yeah. six great, and it's generally free. Just go in and, and you know enjoy yeah. some beer and and uh, have some fun with the musicians. I had trouble. I was at college in Edinburgh, mm-hmm. and you know stopping going to these beautiful sessions rather than work. You know, it was like it was every oh, yeah. night. It was like, oh no, I've got an exam tomorrow, but there's a really really good session on. So, and the great thing is, uh, it's just everybody is like a culture. So if somebody drops in, they know each other because you're a musician also, and you can uh, yeah. jump in and and, yeah. and share. Yeah, and I, actually, that's one of the lovely things about about the travels that I have in the United States is that I um, meet up with musicians who love Scottish music, Irish music, and we we have sessions here and stuff. Yeah, yeah. what is a session? Session is just when you get your stuff out and, you know, have a go. Somebody plays a tune, somebody else plays a tune. They say, oh, what? I, I know a song that was written by the same guy. And all, but that can be it. actually in a pub where you've got this little makeshift yeah, stage. Yes, you can have uh, sessions. They tend to be seeded by free beer. Right. Uh, that's the <laughs> that seems to be it, doesn't it? And these, uh, it's you provide the, free beer and, and you'll find musicians who are willing to sort of sit there and play a few tunes for you. That's, yeah. This is Travel with Rick Steves. We're joined by Jim Malcolm. And, and Jim is... Uh, one of the leading Scottish folk musicians, and he's traveling around the United States right now on tour. He was the lead singer of a band called the Old Blind Dogs for eight years, and now he travels and performs solo all over the world. Uh, when he's not on the road performing, he's at home in Perthshire. Jim's website is jimmalcolm.com, and he joins us today talking about Scottish folk music. You know, Jim, the sparkle I see in people's eyes, local people, when they hear Scottish folk music, there's something really powerful about that for me as a traveler. What is it about Scottish music that can bring out the pride and the history and, and, and the heritage of Scotland for people who live there? It's very dramatic music, actually, uh, and I think that it's because a lot of the music originates really from the pipes, from the bagpipes. I would say that it's been the, the single most biggest influence in Scottish music. It is the sort of national instrument, and because the bagpipes only has eight notes, mm. seven or eight notes. It's very limited. It's just one octave, really. Mm-hmm. That's very similar to the human voice. So so lots of bagpipe tunes have then become songs. You know, people have written words to the bagpipe tunes. I didn't realize that. What What's an example? You're a one-man band, so you got your guitar and your harmonica. What's a piece that you would enjoy that really feels like it originated as a bagpipe? Well, uh, I wrote some words to the, a very famous tune called Lochenside. Uh-huh. Uh, and a lochen is a small loch. Okay. Uh, you need quite a lot of phlegm to say it properly. So it's a small lake, <laughs> uh-huh. you know, and it's just all about the the, the wildlife around uh, a little lake. It's also such a famous tune that it's played, uh, always played before international soccer matches and rugby matches. Ah. It's just one of these kind of iconic... So it strokes the, it strokes yes. the whole spirit yeah. for the team. Spring, the land lies weedy till the sun 
shines, it's a cheat, it brings a bloom for Arjun's pride. Arjun, the Beautiful. Jim Malcolm, thank you so much. That's beautiful. Jim Malcolm joins us. He's one of today's top troubadours of Scottish traditional music. And uh, Jim, you took a folk tune there, actually, and, and wrote your own lyrics to it. Is that right? Uh, yes. Yeah. I, but once I had done it, I discovered that uh, two other people had done the same. Uh, and actually, there's even an Irish version of it as well. So good tunes attract words, you right. know. And, and in fact, our great hero, Robert Burns, our great you know poet and songwriter, that's what basically he did. He, he would take tunes that he liked and, and pen beautiful words to them. Bela Bartok did that in Hungary. Yeah, uh, yeah. A lot of Norwegians did yes, that. Edvard yeah. Grieg did that. Uh-huh. Uh, it's great to be able to draw from your folk culture and folk heritage. Mm-hmm. Where do you go to be inspired when you write a poem? Do you, do you actually... Where do you uh, get in touch with the I, Well, I, I have absolutely no trouble getting in touch with that. I, I'm a, a very keen fly fisherman. Okay. Uh, and uh, that's that's what I do when, you know, when I'm allowed to. <laughs> when uh-huh. I get the time. When I, you know, I, I live very close to a, a really wonderful river called the River Tay. And, okay. and I, I'm spending most of my time fishing in, in the River Tay. And that's, you know, I'm just surrounded by you know, ospreys and otters and kingfishers and, you know, deer. Oh. When, you, when you're fishing, you know, because you're being still and quiet, the wildlife actually comes to you. It sort of it creeps out of the bushes. <laughs> and this is something that's a challenge yeah. for travelers, is to yeah. find themselves in that kind of position where yeah. they really can uh, feel the quiet well, wonder of Scotland. take up fishing. <laughs> take up fishing. I was just driving across the, um, going up from Rannachmore. Uh, oh, yes. From, uh-huh. from Glencoe. And I just said, let's stop the bus and get out. Uh-huh. Just to get off the road and hike a few hundred yards yeah. up into the into the, in the heath or whatever you call it. Yes, it's, yeah. It's powerful. You feel the wind. You feel the heritage. You feel the, the struggle of Scottish culture and Scottish uh-huh. tradition to stay alive. Yeah. yeah. Tell, tell us about how that, the pride of Scotland, works into the traditional folk music today and what role it plays. Because there is a big question coming up of uh, how independent Scotland wants to be from London. Well, big question isn't quite <laughs> quite a big enough way to mm-hmm. say it. It is like the the biggest thing to happen to Scotland since 1707. You know, when th- the Parliament was uh, finished. When it in was Scotland. when Scottish Parliament was dissolved right. by the members of it who were all aristocrats and who were all bribed by the English. Right. You know, so that's that's what so the Scottish elite decided. <laughs> let's just be overt about joining England uh, politically. Uh, they, they weren't even overt about it. They just they took the money. They huh. they voted it out of uh, existence and hid in their castles for a few months until the furore sort of died down. So this is. 300 years ago, and you feel that in the music today, like it happened last decade. 
Well, it, uh, it's a big part of it, really. There's lots of songs. Probably the most famous song uh, about about the Union is, is a Robert Burns one called Parcel of Rogues, in which the Parcel of Rogues were these aristocrats who sold out Scotland. To, That's what they're called, a yeah, Parcel, of, parcel rogues. of Rogues. And yeah. Robert Burns, the great Scottish poet, sort of... Uh, Kindled Scottish spirit in the when did uh, yeah, when yes, well, well, he was born in '59 uh, and would have known uh, people who had kind of fought in the Jacobite campaigns and who had who'd even possibly even been in Scotland when it was still independent, you know. So he was at so a, when was he a born? Time. Exactly. He was born in uh, 1759. Okay, so he was performing uh, the same time that the Americans were breaking away from well, England. It was he, this all yeah. over the place. People were feeling their national oats. Yes, uh, and in fact, he, he wrote a song, a very famous song, A Man's a Man for All That, which was directly inspired by the Revolutionary War. Can we hear just a little bit of this um, patriotic Robbie Burns traditional Scottish uh, book? Is that Parcel yeah, of Rogues? Sure, is that a good one? Uh, I could do a, a bit of Parcel of Rogues. It, it's quite a, a melancholy song. It's quite a, in a minor key. Okay. Uh, it's it's more a sort of lament, really. So now you just picked out one of your harmonicas. I see there's like eight of them. They're one for each different uh, key. Yeah. Nice. Yeah. All right. Fair will Scottish fame. Always hands and tweed runs to the ocean that stands to horror. I've forgotten the words. Oh, but uh, I think that takes me right there. It's just, you know, when you're in Scotland, you've got to get into a pub. Yeah. You've just got to ask at your bed and breakfast or your little hotel, where can I hear some folk yeah. music? And it can pop up anywhere. I was just in Inverness, and we happened to have like one of the greatest evenings I've ever had uh-huh. in the next hotel. It wasn't even famous in Inverness for trad. Yeah. Do you call traditional folk music trad in Scotland, uh, or is that an Irish thing? Uh, no, no. It's, I mean, I mean the, the Irish traditional scene and the Scottish traditional scene are, are very closely related right. and interrelated. And we have, there are bands which have you know, Irish and Scottish players in them. You right. know, it's, it's, oh, is that it's right? Real, oh, yeah. I mean, it's uh, Celtic culture. Ireland and Scotland are like brother and sister. You know, it's a... Now, one thing I've noticed in Scotland, if you want to go to a traditional folk evening in some yeah. hotel, it's pretty cheesy these days. It's hard to find a good Scottish folk evening. Maybe they've always been touristy. But if you just go to a pub that's famous yeah. for the music, yeah. that's where you get all of this classic Scottish um, yeah. passion, more yeah. than on the stage of a fancy hotel where you got to have the... Ceremony of the Haggis and all oh, that. Oh yeah, actually, the, these kind of kind of acts, the hackneyed ones. That yeah. Yeah, I mean, you you must know this about well, about about the whole the whole business of the guys who've been doing it are are just doing the same thing every night for years, and it just becomes. And they probably have the wrong instrumentation. I, I, I get a sense yeah. that it's sort of Lawrence Welkin yeah. Scottish, you know. The sessions, the sessions are definitely give you more of a uh, of an immediate feel. And also, if you are, are a landlord and you're prepared to you know entertain musicians with a few beers. <laughs> uh, and you'll find a session will develop. You need to be nimble. <laughs> when you're a tourist out on the streets after dinner, you need to be nimble. Talk yeah. to the locals. Jim Malcolm's bringing us a troubadour's tour of Scotland right now on Travel with Rick Steves. His latest album is called Still. It's a collection of mostly traditional numbers. You can look up Jim's touring dates in Scotland and the U.S. and hear samples of his music on his website. That's jimmalcolm.com. You know, Jim, when you go to Scotland, uh, you get tuned into the underdogs and, of course, the Scottish standing up for their own independence and so they can play their music and speak their language and and wear their kilts uh, against the powerful English. (laughs) There's so many battles that were fought two or three hundred, four hundred years ago that are still alive today when you step into the pubs. What's a song that you'd like to close with that just brings Uh, us back to that exciting struggle? This is about a really spectacular battle called the Battle of Killiecrankie, which was where the Highland Charge was first really used. And what was the Highland The Highlanders would basically, like, just basically run down from the high ground with claymores, you know. They used to take off their their plaids, their, you know, their clothes, and and actually attack in their shirts. 
in, against the redcoats. Naked in their shirts with big claymores and just plowing. What are them. claymores? Two-handed sword. Oh, my goodness. Like, two-handed and, and sword. And do I have this image of um, well-armed, uniform, redcoat standing in formation? Sorry, going, and you got all these crazy, barbarian, <laughs> yes. half-naked Scottish people screaming and running down with huge two-handed swords. Yes, yes. And this is it. Yeah. This is where it originated. The Highland, what do you call the it? The Highland Charge. Right. Well, it, it became a tactic used uh, very successfully by the, the Jacobite armies until the Battle of Culloden, where it yeah. failed mm. miserably. And by the way, when you're going to Scotland, you got to go to the battlefield of Culloden mm-hmm. and take mm-hmm. the tour there because it gives you a sense yeah. of... That was the last battle fought on British soil, I think. Yes, yeah, we fought lots of battles in other, other soil since yeah. then. <laughs> well, that's a whole other interview. <laughs> Let's go to this uh, battle of what? Kill- uh, Killy Cranky. Killy Cranky. Killy Cranky. on the praise of Kelly Cranky, oh, I fought at land, I fought at sea, I had him, I fought my auntie, oh, but I met the devil and Dundee on the praise of Kelly Cranky, oh, and he had been what I you were not a handsome and ye had seen what I had seen on the praise of Kilikrankio. Jim Malcolm, thank you for taking us to Scotland. <laughs> I want to get on a plane, go straight to Edinburgh, <laughs> leave the big city, find myself in a little town, get a nice local beer, and enjoy some traditional Scottish folk music. Thanks again. You're very welcome. Cheers. Travel with Rick Steves is produced at Europe Through the Back Door in Edmonds, Washington, by Tim Tatton with Sarah McCormick and Isaac kaplan Woner. Thanks to Aaron Harding and Steve Camerano for their help this week. There's more in the radio section of ricksteves.com. You'll find links to our guests, and you can listen to any week's show on demand. This week, you'll also find a program extra in which Rick and the guides from Scotland debate the merits of visiting Edinburgh Castle versus Stirling Castle. Join us again next week for more travel with Rick Steves. Rick Steves has spent a third of his adult life in Europe researching and writing guidebooks. His classic, Europe Through the Back Door, teaches the skills of smart travel. At Rick Steves' online travel store, you'll also find guidebooks for London, England, Great Britain, Scotland, and Ireland. To learn more about Rick's guidebooks for this region and beyond, visit the travel store at ricksteves.com.